Okay, it's Easter. So here's what you can expect today. At some point today, somebody's going to stand up in your church house and say something like, uh, Jesus is not dead. He was dead, but he's not dead anymore. I mean, you can expect it. Just like you expect to hear the national anthem before somebody throws out the first pitch or, uh, or happy birthday before somebody makes a wish and blows out those candles. Not dead. Somebody's going to say it. But here's, uh, here's the question. This, uh, this not dead Jesus stuff, is it really true? Or is it just something nice to say? I mean, it seems like a pretty important question. Because really, nobody's just sitting there today. The way I see it, everybody's rolling the dice. See, this not dead Jesus stuff, if it's not true, well then, ah, really, you're probably wasting your time. You'd probably do better to just sing a rousing rendition of Happy Birthday and call it a day. <laughs> or better yet, you could have slept in and skipped all of this. Because <laughs> really, Jesus not dead? If it's really not true, ah, all of this stuff you're doing, sitting in rows, singing a bunch of songs, listening to some preacher talk. Uh, it really has just about as much significance as, uh, as making a wish and blowing out those candles. On the other hand, if it is true, uh, well, just imagine the possibilities. Jesus, not dead. I mean, he was dead. In the ground, dead and buried, the funerals over, the casseroles have all been eaten. But now, all of a sudden, he's up and walking around again, better than ever. Not dead? <laughs> well, what do you do with a guy like that? My way of thinking, a guy like that, you pay attention to him. And when he says, I'm God, you say, I'll buy that. And when he says, I'm going to lead you in a parade to glory, you say, let me get my drum and fall in behind you. If it's true, Jesus not dead, here's an idea for you. Just today, beat your drum, sing to the rafters, celebrate like you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. <laughs> Just a thought. Not dead. Jesus is not dead. If that's true, then it has a huge significance, doesn't it? Uh, if it is true, it has even bigger significance. If it's not true, you and I here this morning are absolutely wasting our time. We should be down by the beach, throwing in a line, catching a fish, or trying to catch one anyway. Catching the surf, it's an absolute complete waste of time of us sitting here. But if it is true, then sitting here this morning can be life-changing and transforming. But it's hard to believe, isn't it? Because we just don't see people coming back from the dead, do we? When was the last time that you went to a funeral, you came home, went to the wake, walked back up to the cemetery later and found that it was open and the person standing there talking to you? Doesn't happen, does it? 
Uh, I read a story about a group in, uh, I think it was Italy the other day, and they're actually, you can buy for $6,000, you can buy a coffin that's actually fitted out just in case you come back to life. Let me tell you what they've got in it. Uh, this coffin for $6,000, you can have a beeper installed, two-way speakers, a torch, oxygen tank and a heartbeat sensor. It's all ready just in case you come back to life. Now, uh, being a pastor here, I actually do a lot of funerals. I think I've done almost 200 funerals in the 15 years I've been here. Can I tell you right now, I can guarantee 100% everyone who I've buried has not come back to life. 100%. 200 of them, they're all dead. True, Johnny? Glad you worked that one out, mate. Uh, you don't breathe when you're dead. That's part of the deal. Uh, no, you couldn't, could you? But they don't come back to life. And so when we hear that someone's come back to life, it's a real jolt, isn't it? Because that's just not the norm. That's not the normal run of things. So the whole concept of someone coming back from the dead really is quite strange and it sets them apart from anyone else. So when we hear the story of Jesus coming back from the dead and we celebrate that, then it is actually quite strange. But if it's true, then it's transforming. If it's not, a waste of time. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to have a look through John chapters 19 to 20. We're going to take snippets of each of them. We're going to work through it together because we're going to see when John writes, uh, he was one of the followers of Jesus and he wrote his gospel and he wrote it for eyewitness. He was there at the time and he wrote it so that people would get to see what this Jesus did. And so we're going to see how he puts together these last couple of chapters to put evidence before you and I today that this Jesus is not dead. So we're going to have them on the screen and we're going to work through them together. Uh, click down one more, guys, uh, to the next one. Because uh, the first thing that he does for us in John chapter 19, uh, this is where we get to the death and resurrection of Jesus. One of the first things that, Je- that John shows us, first and foremost, is that Jesus is dead. That's a really important thing to know, that he actually did die. Dead, gone. So let's have a look at it together. Uh, it's going to go on the screen for you and Joan's going to read for us. So you're going to read the first one there. It's verses 33 through to 35 of John chapter 19. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. Excellent. Thanks, Jane. Uh, do you know one of the good things uh, the Romans did for us, apart from the roads, the sewerage and Pax Romana, uh, the Romans did, were really good at knowing how to kill people. Okay? That was what they knew how to do, one of the best things that they knew. If you were here on Friday and we saw uh, a bit of a skit there too, a clip on the screen about the Roman centurion, how he killed, that was his job. He knew how to kill people and they knew when people were dead. So when they come across on Good Friday and they walk across and they're going to take the bodies down because it's going to be the Sabbath, they're going to pull them off the cross, they go across the three uh, guys that are on there, they notice that Jesus is already dead. 
They break the other side, guys' legs on either side, because when you're crucified, you actually die through suffocation. I don't know whether you know that, but because you're breathing, you breathe down, up and down. So when you've got nails through your feet and you're trying to breathe, it's an ah! And then when you fall down, it's ah! So what happens is you just can't keep doing it, so you suffocate and you die. So if you break people's legs, they can't breathe, so they suffocate. So that's why they break their legs. Go across, they see the two guys beside, they break their legs, come to Jesus, he's already dead. They know that, but to make sure, what do they do? They stick a spear in his side, and what comes forward? This is quite amazing that John records this, because this is really important. What comes, flows out from the side, is blood and water. Because what does that signify? That the heart has stopped. Once our heart stops, our red blood cells and our white, I'm not sure what they're called exactly, uh, they separate from one another because they're not pumping around the body anymore. So when someone dies, we actually get water and blood. So John's actually recording for us a medical way of showing that someone is dead. Spear through the side, blood and water flows, he's dead. But just to make sure you know he's dead, look what happens next. Two guys, uh, Joseph of Arimathea uh, and a mate of his, Nicodemus, who we heard about earlier in John's Gospel, come out, so to say, and uh, show their allegiances and they want to take Jesus down. So we're going to read from verses 38. Uh, Joan's going to read that for us, down to verse 41. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly he, was fear, he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was, accustomed, he was accompanied sorry, by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in the strips of linen, this was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Keep going. So, no, that's fine. Thank you, Jane. Um, they've looked at him on the cross, dead. Pierced him in the side, dead. Take him down off the cross. Joseph Arimathea and Nicodemus pick him up. You would have thought they would have worked out if he wasn't dead, wouldn't you? They would have worked it out. But just to make sure of that, John records that they actually wrap him uh, in linen and they put a whole lot of spices around him. Now, I don't know whether you've ever been wrapped in linen before or had spices wrapped around you, but you can't breathe, like John said. Uh, and he wouldn't have been able to breathe. He would have, if he hadn't had any life in him, he would have suffocated in that period of time when he was wrapped up. So what John is showing to, you, us, to us, he wants to make clear to you and I and to everyone else who reads this account that Jesus is dead. He's not faking it. He's not covering it up. He's not doing a bit of a magical trick here. He is dead. Uh, have you ever seen the Monty Python skit, the, life, uh, the dead parrot skit? The dead parrot skit in Monty Python, John Cleese brings in a dead parrot and he shows that this dead parrot is dead. So we're going to watch it now just to show you. Hello, I wish to register a complaint. Hello, miss. 
What do you mean, miss? I'm sorry, I have a cold. I wish to make it complete. <laughs> sorry, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about this parrot what I purchased not half an hour ago from this very boutique. Oh, yes, the Norwegian blue. What's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. It's dead. That's what's wrong with it. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's resting. Look. Look, my lad, I know a dead parrot when I see one, and I'm looking at one right now. No, no, it's, it's not dead. It's resting. Resting? Yeah. Remarkable bird, the Norwegian blue. Beautiful plumage, isn't it? The plumage don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, no, it's resting. All right, then. If it's resting, I'll wake it up. Hello, Polly. I got a nice cuttlefish for you when you wake up, Polly Parrot. There, it moved. No, it didn't. <laughs> that was you pushing the dish. I did not. Yes, you did. Hello, Polly. Polly. Polly Parrot. Now, that's what I call a dead parrot. No, no, it's stunned. Look, my lad, I've had just about enough of this. That parrot is definitely deceased. And when I bought it not half an hour ago, you assured me that its lack of movement was due to it being tired and shagged out after a long squawk. It's got me pining for the fjords. Pining for the fjords? What kind of talk is that? Look, where did it fall flat in its back the moment I got it home? The Norwegian blue prefers kipping on his back. It's a beautiful bird, lovely plumage. Look, I took the liberty of examining that parrot, and I discovered that the only reason that it had been sitting on its perch in the first place was that it had been nailed there. <laughs> well, of course it was nailed there, otherwise it muscled up to those bars and boom! Look, matey. This parrot wouldn't boom if I put 4,000 bolts through it. It's bleeding demise. It's not. It's, it's pining. It's not pining. It's passed on. This parrot is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to meet its maker. This is a late parrot. It's a stiff, bereft of life. It rests in if you hadn't nailed it to the perch, you would be pushing up the daisies. It's thrown down the curtain and joined the choir invisible. This is an ex-parrot. Well, I'd better replace it then. If you want to get anything done in this country, you've got to complain to your blue in the mouth. Sorry, Gov, we're right out of parrots. I see. It's dead, isn't it? Quite clearly, the parrot is dead. Bereft of life, pushing up daisies, it's no longer going to do it, it's not going to vroom, it can't get through the bars, it is a dead parrot. John is showing us in this passage here that Jesus is dead. He hasn't fainted, he hasn't somehow just taken a bit of time out and he's going to come back to life again, but he's shown clearly that the Romans knew he was dead. They pierced him in the side. Uh, Joseph and Nicodemus knew that he was dead. They wrapped him up in linen and they stuck him in a tomb. Uh, in some of the other gospels you find they rolled a huge uh, stone across it so that no one could get in to get him out so his people can come back to him later. Jesus was dead. Now the interesting thing is now is what happens in the next couple of chapters because Jesus goes from being dead to being alive. But we find that hard to understand and so did they back then. So have a look at what in chapter 20, uh, verses 1 to 9. 
I think we'll click down. And uh, we'll see that even the disciples who were with Jesus, who knew him for three years, who saw him do all these miracles, they still are doubting whether this could be true. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth had folded, was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So, see, they're still unsure. Uh, they've heard, they've seen all this, they've watched all this, they go to the tomb, the tomb's open, there's no body there and they're still not 100% sure. They're still doubting, aren't they? They're still wondering, could this really happen? Is this really true? Could somehow what Jesus is telling us for three years actually come to be? Could this guy truly come to life? Well, the amazing thing is that what we hear next is when John records us, is he gives us a record from a person who, if you were really writing back then and you were trying to fudge this in some way to make it sound better and bigger than what it was, you wouldn't have put them in there. In the next passage we're going to read, we're going to find that Mary actually meets Jesus. Now, if you're writing back in Jesus' time, you wouldn't have recorded that a woman saw Jesus first. If you really wanted to say that this was a really big thing, if you want to make this bigger than what it was, you wouldn't put a woman in there, you'd put a bloke in there. Because blokes carry more weight in their testimony. But here John brings Mary in. Now I reckon that actually shows that this is even more true than what it possible. These guys aren't fudging this. They're not trying to make it out to something better and bigger than what it was. This is huge in and of itself. So have a look what happens this time. Mary is the first person who meets Jesus after he's risen from the dead. I'm going to go from verses 14... To 18, Jane, if that's all right. Thank you. Um, where are we? At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary... She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went away to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. She was still doubting too, wasn't she? Uh, Mary was still a bit unsure when she first heard Jesus' voice. She thought, maybe this is the gardener. But then she turns and she sees and she's blown away. 
This is Jesus alive. Remember, he was dead, alive. The only one in history to ever done it. There he is. Could you imagine how excited she would have been? She would have been trembling. She would have been shaking. It would have been an unbelievable sight to have seen Jesus standing there. And then Jesus speaks to her and calms her and she experiences the, just the excitement of it all. And she can't hold it to herself, can she? She races off and she tells the disciples what has happened. Now you can imagine what the disciples are thinking. Oh, really? Is this true or not true? I, I haven't seen him yet. It's been open yet. Is it true? And we can say to John, can't we, the same thing. Oh, look, there's only one person so far, John. You know, if one person tells us something, we might start to think it's true. Depends on how well we know them. But John, give us more. We want to know about more people who've seen this guy alive before we can believe it's true. So have a look at what happens in verses 19 to 20. Thanks, Joan. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. He's very understated, isn't he? Overjoyed. Blown away. Completely rocked. Completely amazed that Jesus is standing there before them. They'd seen him dead. They deserted him. They'd taken off from him. They thought that this was the end of everything that they knew. And there Jesus stands before them. Ten of them are there. There's two not there. Judas is not there because he's gone off and possibly taken his life by this point in time. And Thomas is not there. I'm going to find out about Thomas in just a moment. But there's ten of them. Now that's harder to fudge, isn't it? One person gives you the story about amazing thing. You know, that, did you see the huge fish that someone caught down the river the other day? If I told you the one, it was the biggest flathead I could possibly imagine. It was three metres long. Had a mouth on it big enough to swallow a kid. Now, if I told you that, you would have thought, oh, yeah, it was the one that got away, wasn't it? You know, oh, he's not going to tell you that. But then if I bring 10 people along with me, and I stand and they say, hey, look, there it is. We saw it. A three metre long flathead. You couldn't imagine it. They call him a lizard. This is a real lizard, this one. He's a huge fish. Three, 10 people. You'd be starting to think, I don't know whether I can doubt that anymore. Uh, if you had been in our time, it would have been on Twitter. It would have been on Facebook. It would have been sent around the world in no time, wouldn't it? Uh, but back then, 10 people, that's huge. When you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it tells us that over 500 people saw Jesus alive. Now that is really hard to get 500 people completely drunk and hallucinating to say the same thing. That's what some people say. They're all hallucinating. They're all on some sort of drug at the time, man. And they saw Jesus. Woohoo! 500 of them? I doubt it. See what John's doing? He's building the case for us to say that Jesus really did come back to life. But some still doubt. A guy called Thomas, doubting Thomas. He wasn't there at the time. I don't know where he was Sunday night. Maybe there was sheep herding on the TV and he was watching that. Uh, he missed it. Uh, but a little bit later they come to him and say, Hey, Thomas, look what happened. So Jane's going to read from verse 24 for us through to about 29. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. 
Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Yeah, some people use the whole doubting Thomas thing, don't they? And they say, how could he have doubted? Well, I reckon I would have been in his category. Honestly. I reckon I would have been like him. I would have been thinking, you know, you don't see dead people come to life, guys. This is just out of the ordinary. Ten of you might have seen him, but seriously, I cannot believe it unless I see him, unless I touch him, unless I feel him. I reckon I would have been with him. But what happens? Thomas, a week later, they're together, they're having a meal together. Jesus appears before them and he stands there and he says, Thomas, come and touch, mate. Come and feel. And what does Thomas do? He falls on his knees and goes, my Lord and my God. He saw and he believed. And Jesus says to us, that blessed are those who haven't seen but yet believe. That's to you and I. And we may not have seen Jesus. We may not have been able to touch him. But what we have here before us is an accurate record of what went on. John wanted to show to you and me this morning that this Jesus has come back to life. He was truly dead, completely dead. Dead, 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 says John, through all those things. But he's alive. He really is alive. He really did come back. Mary saw him. Ten of his disciples saw him. 500 people saw him. Thomas saw him. Saw him. Didn't even have to touch him. Fell on his knees and says, My Lord and my God. Believe it or not, isn't it? If we believe it, then this has an absolutely transforming power for you and I today. Because John says this straight after this. He says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see what he's saying? If you trust and believe in what Jesus has done, that he died, that he paid the penalty for our sin on the cross, that he rose again to say that he defeated death, that this is real, that if you trust that, then you're going to have life forever. Life now beyond belief, life for eternity in perfection forever, that you truly are going to become alive. That before this, actually, we're not really truly alive because all of us here were created to be in relationship with God and until we're in that relationship with God, we aren't truly living. We're only truly alive when we trust in Jesus. That's what he's saying to us here in this passage. I come from Tasmania, many of you would know. And there's a place in Tasmania called Wineglass Bay. Uh, you walk up over the hazards and when you stand on the hazards, you look down into Wineglass Bay and it is a stunning beach. It's ranked in the top 10 beaches of the world. And you look at it and it's this beautiful bay, white sand, crystal clear blue water. Uh, you walk down and you think, this is stunning until you put your toe in it. And you go, oh, that is freezing. But it's a great thing when you go down there. You think, I've still got to go in. 
So what you do when you get there and, you, and you're busting, you're running and you dive into the water and when you hit that water, it just goes all over you. Your body tingles, you jump out of it and you go, ah! But you know you're alive. Absolutely, you've come alive because you've felt that tingle, that sensation. You've felt the refreshingness of that water. Jesus does that for you and I. When we trust him and believe in him, he gives that sensation. He comes into our lives and he gives us a new life and we become truly alive in him. Dead or alive? A waste of time or life transforming? It's a question we've got to ask ourselves, don't we? Isn't it? And our answer to both that, to that question, is he dead or alive? Do I believe or I don't? Has huge consequences for you. Not just here and now, but eternally. Can I encourage you to think seriously about whether Jesus did rise from the dead? And if he did what that means for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just take a moment to pause and to think and to contemplate. Oh Lord, we've heard a lot this morning. We've seen a lot. We've read a lot. We pray that by your spirit, Lord, you'll enable us to understand what you've just spoken to us this morning, what you've just shown us in your word this morning. Lord, we're all in different places, we're all in different parts of our journey. Uh, some of us know you and trust you and love you, some of us are thinking about it, some of us are probably for the first time contemplating. But Lord, we want to thank you that you meet us where we're at and that you work with us where we're at, Lord. We pray that this Easter Sunday may be life-changing for all of us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.